1: Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I hope you guys um, all had a great St. Patrick's Day. Um, Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome and to all of our regular viewers, welcome back. We have another great show for you. As many of you know, I am also the CEO of FutureCon Events. And we are back to doing live events, and they just continue to get better and better. People are coming out again, and it's been super great. We're heading to Baltimore, DC area in two weeks, and then the week after that, we go to Detroit. So our travel schedule is picking up this year, and it's kind of crazy that we're back on the road again, um, pretty much full time. It's exciting to see people. We're I'm super happy to have you all come out and support our events. If you happen to be in the Baltimore or the Detroit, and we have Omaha, and we have Jersey, we're going to be in those cities over the next month. Check us out at FutureCon events. You can private message me, and I will make sure that I um, provide you a free pass to come in. Um, we also are still doing a handful of virtual events, and all of our live events we are doing in a hybrid mode. That way, I know there's still people that are not comfortable coming into large crowds again. So we are still offering everyone the ability to watch our events in a hybrid mode from home. And we do. We had a great virtual event this week. Our keynote speaker was Clint Walker. He's a cybersecurity advisor for Homeland Security. He was a great guest on Wednesday, and I. Highly recommend um, you guys checking out our YouTube channel at future FutureCon events because you will be able to catch his discussion on there. And he did um, talk about a lot of great things and a lot of important things that are happening in our community. Um, so I'm very excited today for my guests. We're going to be um, We're going to be discussing a bunch of different things today and really, you know, the next generation of the impact on security programs. And let me tell you a little bit about my guest, Anthony Johnson. Um, He has spent his career in cybersecurity and has gone from being hands-on red team technician to leading some of the largest cyber programs in the world as global chief information security officer in financial services. He um, has said that he's worked with amazing people, worked on difficult and fun problems at scale and overall learned what's most important as a leader and a person. He's a mentor. Um, He's a passion of helping people. He's mentored CISOs or senior cyber executives. Um, He's educated on lots of boards. He's sat on many boards. He um, is considered a cyber advisor to a number of CIOs, uh, CISOs within Fortune 500 um, industry. So I'm very, very excited to have him um, here today. He's also a, he sits as an advisor at Forbes Business Council and he's a technology um, advisor and I am excited to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hello, how are
2: you doing? Thanks for, for having me
1: did not mention that you're the founder of Delve risk Uh, and I haven't, you know, I think that we knew each other from LinkedIn. I've never had the pleasure of meeting you. So I'm super excited to talk to you today. Tell us a little bit about Delve risk and how you founded that and how long you've been running that company.
2: Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so in, um, about about two and a half years ago, I decided to found uh, a risk and what we, what we actually do is it's a market research organization. We study Fortune 1000, about 1500 companies. um, And we really look to analyze and understand their cybersecurity programs, how they make decisions. And our customers are sales and marketing team leaders who are trying to better understand their buyers. Um, Not a market intent um, organization. We provide context and intelligence on what resonates about those programs and companies and teams, Um, you know, analyzing budget, spend, how they make decisions, um, conferences they attend, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, it's, a, it's a good way to be really adjacent to cyber. Um, but you know, it, it aligns with my passion of, of helping entrepreneurs, um, get the next generation of technology out there.
1: So how did you make that transition from being on the tech side to going over to almost, you know, being on the marketing side?
2: Yeah, um, with much pain and gnashing of teeth is how I did it. Um, so, so really it, it was a realization that a lot of great technology comes out, a lot of innovative technologies come out, but the reason why they don't take off is because the sales marketing teams don't actually understand how to speak the language of the CISO. Um, they don't know how to understand how to get their message of their great tech to, to really resonate. Um, And one of the things I've always done in my career um, is I spent a lot of time with startups. Um, I actually had a practice or a a habit of whenever I would get a vendor cold call, I would tell them I take unsolicited vendor cold calls on Tuesdays from three to four. They could give me any call, uh, a call on any Tuesday, and I'd give them 15 minutes if they got through. And I got a chance to meet a lot of founders. And um, a couple of years back, I decided I wanted to take a more direct role in, in trying to build an organization that really enabled founders.
1: So interesting that you bring that up because we were out in Dallas in January and I had a bunch of CISOs that were sitting on my panel, and the panel, our panel, um. Happens in the middle of our vendor space. So, the way our events are laid out, where we have sessions all day long and we wrap up over on the vendor side with the CISO panel. And the very last question that the moderator said, who was a CISO, is you know, there's lots of sponsors in here. How do you get in the door? How would someone get in the door with you guys? And the number one thing they said is don't cold call me, <laughs> you know, don't don't you know, don't you better know who I am. You better know a little bit about me. And how, what is your answer to that question?
2: Yeah. So I think um, a lot of times vendors and, and, and sales folk don't actually even understand the industry or the business of what they're trying to sell into. Um, so I think that context and research is really important. Of course, that's what we predicated the company on. Um, I, I think it's always cheeky and, and I would say cute whenever a CISO or a CIO says, don't cold call me, um, but yet their company employs thousands of people that cold call um, mm-hmm. and it, you know they're like, hey, I know you say that, but you realize that the revenue of your very large organization is largely driven by people who are doing these same tactics and approaches, outbound email campaigns, cold calling, et cetera. Um, so I think that, that there has to be a recognition that this is a part of it. And um, both sides, the buy and the sell side, need to understand and think about, how do we make this more efficient? How do we make this more valuable? Um, And that's, like I said, that's what we've been trying to solve and we're pretty excited to, to, to be in this space and kind of leading the way of what we're doing.
1: That is, you know, I saw a few months ago, a post from a CISO, it was very angry, you know, that yelling, you know, through his posts on LinkedIn, you know, stop calling me, you know, like yelling at the salespeople. And, um, it it was not a nice post and it, and it, you're right. He worked for a company that I've had those people. It was a payment services company, you know, so I've had those people calling me all the time, trying to get me to switch my, you know, my payment services and I probably gave too much information there, but I doubt he's listening to the show, but somebody, a girl, a salesperson actually had the guts to challenge him on that and say, it's important. you know, yeah. Like, like, I mean,
2: and I, I say this, there's a difference between a big C and a little C when it comes to being a CISO. And, um, I, I, I will say this to anybody that when a security leader or an executive, um, doesn't understand the humanity and what goes into, you know, that salesperson, that cold call person, like they're, they're fulfilling their role in the organization, just like as if they worked for that payments processor or whatever marketing firm. Um, And so I I think those are little C people. Um, I think that they fail to understand how business actually works. Um, And they often try to think about things as a microcosm of of a security purist world. Um, And it's not, right? We make risk decisions and security does not exist to keep all the bad out security exists to enable the business to move fast and you have to strike the balance. Right. Um,
1: it, it's the, it's, you know, as the CEO of, my company daily do I get, you know, random people calling me and it's frustrating, you know, cause I could be getting ready to start a conference call, whatever. And sometimes what makes me mad is when they trick you with, and they change the area code and you think it's something important and you know, so I understand where the CISO is coming from, but there definitely is a fine line of, you know, I, I, guess that's why there's good salespeople and then there's, uh, salespeople that never move up the ladder. You
2: know? Exactly. I think that in, 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 any sort of selling motion, and I wrote, I wrote a book last year, um, co, co- wrote a book last year about cybersecurity sales, right? In any sort of sale motion, you never want to lead with, the, lead with the seed. That's the worst. Right. Um, and it could be as simple as changing the area code to something I, I might think that that, oh yeah, I probably know somebody from there. Um, but oftentimes it's, it's, um, those reps don't even know the area code. They're using some sort of an automated dialing tool that they're just getting um, a a ring. Now I I do agree, um, cold calling somebody's cell phone is particularly challenging. Um, I think that's probably not something I would would recommend, Um, but the best thing is to understand who you're talking to, who you're reaching out to, um, and then having a real conversation
1: agreed you know we have a couple of comments jonathan kimmett welcome back to the show he is the cso over at the university of tulsa he sometimes is my guest host on the program so um he just did an episode a few weeks ago and he had a pen tester on and it was a fascinating episode so looking forward to him coming back and bringing another guest kyle Rogan who happens to be my new uh uh, business development rep is going to be starting with us next week. And he said, really enjoyed Anthony's comment about cold calling and emails, interesting and truthful POV and how company employees, employees, thousands of people. What do that? Sometimes I'm reading this and it's teeny tiny. What do that for their own businesses? Love his mentality. But I think everyone wishes that you had the same, uh, the same mentality like that they wish CISOs all had the same mentality. Okay. And a lot of them are a lot of them are approachable. But again, they have a hard job to do and they have to pick and choose who
2: they're going to they, 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 they do. But so and I, and I, and I say this with um, as much love and affection. Um, I was previously the CISO at an you know, organizations like G.E. Treasury at Fannie Mae, the corporate investment bank at J.P. Morgan, so very large organizations. Um, but I think that we we have to recognize that security leaders have hard jobs but so do analysts so do the SOC analysts so do the sellers right um and it's an important piece to recognize that there's there's a lot of value that each one of these roles have to do Um, we just sit in a a different position in the car Um, and if we if we if we look at it from that perspective we're all passengers trying to get to from point a to point b in a safe manner um and yes we get there's frustrating things but cold calling didn't start with cybersecurity sales, right? Like that's not where this 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 this, this started here, right? Um, and so cybersecurity sales um, and technology sales—they took the best practices of what worked from very large organizations, which are now largely Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies um, that use those types of tools. Um, and I think that we we all just need to kind of step back and and say, you know what. If I get a crazy outreach email from somebody who's brand new in the industry and I have the two minutes, maybe I'll, I'll tell them like, hey, love your energy, but you know your your approach is wrong. I don't think you actually understand my company. And, and hopefully they're gonna come back with some more research saying, you know what, you're absolutely right. I remember this one time when I was at JP Morgan, um, I won't say it was a big four uh, consulting organization. Um, I had just come in as the senior MD there, um, running uh, uh, cyber for the corporate investment bank. Big Four Consulting comes in. They're like, we do hundreds of million dollars with JP. We want to come talk to you about what we can do for your cyber program. We get it scheduled. They show up. And I said, great. Nice to meet you guys. Can you tell me a little bit about how uh, the corporate investment bank makes money? And um, both of the the, 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 the the people from the Big Four were like, um, you guys are, are a bank. I'm like, yes. <laughs> but how do we actually make money? Like, how, like how do we do, – do, does – does that convert into, into actual revenue? And they didn't know. And so I asked them, like, how are you going to help me secure the enterprise if you don't understand how we actually drive revenue, which influences what we prioritize, and that drives how we make risk decisions, what's acceptable, versus not. I ended the meeting there, um, and they came back two months later, two and a half, three months later, very educated on how high-end financial services work, And we were then able to have a really great conversation of what acceptable and appropriate risk was, given our market position, what we were doing and where we were going. So that context is just critically important for somebody um, to to have and do. And if someone shows up and they haven't done their homework, um, that's just an immediate red flag of like, listen, you're not trying to build a relationship, you're just trying to to move a widget. Um, And nobody wants to be sold, uh, but we all buy, right?
1: Exactly. That's what I don't know if you know Alan Alford. He has a podcast, yep. Cyber Ranch. Um, and he was my moderator out in Dallas. And when they asked him, and then he sat on the panel, but when they asked him that same question, he goes, You better know my product and you better know my company. Because if you don't know that, then there's not even a beginning. You know, you, there's not even a way to start. So what made you, and I know we haven't even gotten on the topic we're going to talk about today, but I find it so fascinating because there's so many CISOs out there that are just so frustrated there because they're getting bombarded, you know, with, there's so many products, there's so, there's so many options out there. So what made you see that person again when he didn't know your company and what you did when he walked in, he or she?
2: Um, so, so my story actually goes back to when I was in the Air Force. Um, so when I was an enlisted guy in the Air Force, I did network security. Um, and we were not allowed to do our core job. I couldn't do network security as a side job. Um, and so uh, when you make $600 a month, you kind of need a side job. Um, and so there were a bunch of these network security engineers and, and, and firewall admins. And we all worked at like Taco Bell, and Discount Auto Tires. And one of those horrible side jobs I had was outbound mortgage refinance calls, and after about a week of cold calling people, I was like, "This is not for me." But I respect the hell out of anybody who does it, um, and so I wanted to just to be be an open, good human. Um, and so, whenever you know I get those calls, I'll have those conversations. Now, there are some of these crazy robocall things that happen, or crazy emails where you know they, they it's clearly just a, a form they're dropping in. Um, that's that's that, that's pretty pretty different. Um, but whenever I get a chance to have a, 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 an honest conversation with a person, if I can help them, I want I, I want to do I want to do that.
1: Yeah, we could spend the whole hour talking on this because I'm fr- I'm I was in the Navy, so I had a I had a side job too. But my yep. side job, it was funny. I was in Hawaii, and my side job was working in a country bar <laughs> in Hawaii of all places. You know, we all had side jobs in the military yep. if you were enlisted because you weren't making that much money. That's guys.
2: exactly that's so, exactly uh, it.
1: But anyway, but talking about, you know, some of these automated things that we're seeing, it kind of takes us into what we're going to talk about today, the next generation on um, the impact on security programs, because there are, there is so automation, so much automation that's taking place of human jobs, um, like, what, what are you thinking? How is that going to look? Say we jump 10 years, you know, from now, do you think we're going to see more AI tools and more robots? Um, especially because we have a huge problem. We can't find people, you know, people yeah. don't want to work.
2: Yeah, I, I think that if you really fast forward and you go 50 years, I think the world is, is I forget who said it, but it's, it's one of two options. You're either programming and directing um, the computers and systems or you're being told what to do by the computers and systems. Um, and, it's, and it's just going to be one of those, those two, um, and, and I think that that's going to be true. When it comes to, to automation inside organizations, though, um, there is a big piece of where you have to understand the risks of what, you're, what you are inheriting. Um, one of those is that automation is great when it works, and it's horrible when it goes bad because both things happen at scale and speed, right? So if it's automating and uh, making your uh, access management processes very smooth, that's great. If it breaks your access management, you probably have hours and hours and hours, if not days and weeks, of, of, of cleanup here. So in certain situations, particularly on highly sensitive or more restrictive components, you do want to have um, you do want to have a human in the loop um, to, to kind of break the the, the pure automation um, on perhaps some of those more risky decisions. Um, but we're also going to see this proliferation of where we're going to have automation and, um, and and capabilities that will impact the workforce not just coming from i.t uh, one of my favorite topics i've been talking about a lot lately is how organizations have to adopt and embrace the citizen developer um, that person who's in fi- in the finance organization or in accounting um, or in b- somewhere else in biz dev who did some scripting and some some coding in college. They have access to, you know, to platforms that enable them to build no-code, low-code apps, and they're gonna make something that works. And what we have to think about is, how does IT and cybersecurity fit into that ecosystem? Like How do we enable them? Because you can't just go try to shut them all down. That's just not gonna work. We're not gonna be able to keep up. So how do we enable and create a workspace where we, we, we turn these citizen developers into force multipliers for for the business.
1: And how, yeah, because we're, we're seeing it left and right, you know, not only in the financial industry in the, in the hospitality industry, you know, you're, you're seeing robotic, you know, servers now and stuff like that. How is that going to keep these organizations security posture? Who's checking all that? And are we moving too fast that, you know, we're, we're leaving holes for, you know, uh, attackers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's,
2: an important piece. I think it, we have to also think about the mindset though. A lot of times, um, <laughs> there's, there's people who are in the security space and a lot of times, um, you'll talk to somebody and they're kind of what I call a zealot, right? They are a security purist, like it has to be locked down. The users are horrible, bad people, and they just want to write bad code. Um, and that is not true at all. Um, the users in, in largely um, most, of the, most of these companies, they're not trying to put out bad or insecure code. They're trying to create some new feature or functionality that will enable a customer, enable the business to do something. They're literally just trying to get their job done. Um, and so we have to look at this from a positive intentions perspective, and then think about how do we, how do we actually enable them, right? Enable them so that they're not gonna go hide and do something um, where they're trying to keep it away from security. But instead they come to us and say, hey, I'm looking to get this feature. Um, I wanna make this, this this thing happen. How can I do this the fastest way possible? Um, and the best example I can use is if you think back, it's kind of crazy. Um, the iPhone came out in what, 2007? Um, and if you think back, back to about 2007, 2008, we used to have this conversation of, of, of security purists, zealots saying, I will not enable, there will be no personal devices um, um, personal cell phone devices ever on the network or ever in use for data. Um, and after a couple of years, people realized that train moved. That train happened and you had to be on it. You had to say, we have to enable people to use their personal devices. Everyone's not just going to get a corporate-issued device and we're going to lock that down. Uh, it just, it couldn't keep up with business. Um, and I think that we're going to have the same situation here with citizen developers, with people who want to or or going to write, you know, you um, know, write something to enable the business to go fast.
1: So let's break that down just a little bit for some of our, uh, listeners. Most of our LinkedIn listeners are pretty high tech, you know, they're in our space, but our, our, and security for all they do, you know, Come on, they come listen to us just to learn more about cybersecurity. So, can you break that down? What these citizen developers are, and can you explain that more to all, my listeners?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, at least when I think about that that term, it's really gonna it's really gonna be somebody who's not in IT uh, or not in, in, in security that creates some sort of a, a program or application that enables you know them to do their job better or to to uh, enables them to uh, to meet their their delivery or customer expectations. Um, I love talking with people, they're like, oh, we don't have any development. I'm like, do you have anybody who's really good with Excel? Uh, And it's like, yeah, why? Well, for most companies, if you actually look at some of the functions that they've built out in some of those Excel programs and and, and sheets, like it's an application, right? Um, And a lot of critical business decisions happen in these wonky one-off Excel sheets that sits on you know on somebody's shared shared drive or personal system, um, and you're going to see that at scale. You're going to see people who who open up uh, and use these pl- with these no-code or low-code uh, platforms where they can just drag and drop, make a you know make an app, make a tool without having to understand the actual coding behind it, um, and it's going to give the business some functionality. And the security. S- constantly or always tries to jump in the way of that um, those teams and business units will just go around them Um, so so security as an industry has to figure out how to partner um, with those with, with those people who are quite literally just trying to add value to the org
1: yeah that's really fascinating because especially um this generation that's just graduating from college, I wish, you know, the Excel, the stuff they're teaching, you know, I, I wish I knew how to use Excel, like they know how to use Excel, you know, what, what I can do in 20 minutes, they can do in one minute, you know, because they just, it, it, it's, it's really fascinating. But um, really quick, before we move on, Kathy Vose, said great book. So kudos to you, you. Anthony. And then, um, Eddie Thomason said he is so hyped to dive into this topic. So let's just keep talking about this topic. So how do you, what is the impact? What impact are we going to see on, again, going back to the security postures of companies when you have these different people in different divisions um, creating stuff like this?
2: Well, it's the people in, in, in different parts of the company creating things, but it's also people working from home. I mean, the, the, the work from home dynamic um, really changes things in a, in a pretty fundamental way, and that's why I, I find this whole topic and conversation is just so exciting and fascinating. Because take a take a, a financial service organization; it could be a small organization, right? Maybe they had everybody come into the office for or for you know the last ten years, and over the last two years, you suddenly have people that are now working remote. Great. Um the challenge with that is that the companies largely have vetted and done the background checks on the people that they've hired, but they haven't done that on roommates and significant others and, and other folks, right? And so what, what, you, what you get to is you you have companies now that have a risk posture of say, somebody who works for them, been background vetted um, is responsible for, for making payments. They could have a roommate, who was convicted of payment fraud? How do you think about that? How do we how do we look at the workforce and then say, okay, well, we have to enable the right person to do their right job, um, but also protect from all these new things because we no longer control the ecosystem, right? So it's the it's the proliferation of or the expansion rather of the work boundaries. It's the expansion of um, tools and capabilities that the technology and, and security teams don't even see and i think that's that that last that last point is actually the most exciting or fascinating um for for me and and really what you're gonna what you're gonna get is people in marketing realizing they have a need they want to solve something and they can go build it fix it without actually ever having to tell anybody in security or it whereas two years ago they had to go to it put in a project request, wait for it to get funded, you know, go through all these iterations, and instead, you're going to have people who are like, "Oh, I can go I can go build that in about one evening, come back, and the next day the business can move forward." And now security has to say, "What the heck just happened? Where is our data going? How is it being used?" Um, and so really looking at it from from that really um, comprehensive perspective, it's just a whole new can of worms.
1: It's a whole new can of worms. And does that become an HR challenge? I mean, where is that gonna lie? I mean, are, are companies gonna have to, you know, amend their, you know, their employee handbooks, employment g- agreements? I mean, you're, it's a very fine line there of what's it, right. right and wrong, you
2: know? It, you're, you're, you're right. I was speaking at the, uh, with the Federal Reserve at one of their conferences the last quarter, um, and we were talking about this because it becomes a really interesting question of, Let's say that your bank's an employee at wherever you bank. Um, you know they have access to your account, and one of their roommates wires money out from your account. At some point, there will be some crazy amount of fraud or some 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 activity or event that happens that will force regulators to say, "Hey, how do we think about this? How do we how do we look at this?" So you're going to see updates to regulation, I believe. Definitely employee handbooks, um, possibly background check components there, uh, attestations, because the the practices and things that we do at home are not the same of what we would do in the corporate office. Um, you know, if I always ask people, I'm like, when was the last time you control or delete locked your computer at home? Probably very rarely. Um, and if you say that you do it all the time, then you're better than me because I I don't. I I, I walk away and, and shut my office door, right? Mm -hmm. um and so we we have to realize that the the control landscape has changed physically logically um, and then even from a capability perspective and all that is going to impact um how security leaders need to be flexible how they pivot how it thinks about this thing um because you can't go and stamp out all these these citizen developers or what we used to call shadow it you can't go chase them all down there's just too many of them
1: you had a i think he took off but Tim savage was said that he was heading out on a call yeah, it looks like he works for. Uh, I, I, I thought I saw thales, but I'm not sure. But again, um, it's back to that whole you know zero trust again, and and educating your teams on that. And is this going to be the new classification of insider threats by mm-hmm. accident? You know, it it, it it could
2: be. I mean, could you imagine? And this is almost what it's going to feel like. Not exactly, but I think it's almost going to feel like imagine if a company said hey anytime you somebody wants to create a uh, a spreadsheet you had to run it through security like that would be crazy like you people would be like hold on i can't just i can't just do a you know a diff i can't make a spreadsheet that has a diff i can't do I can't do this i can't use all these functions um and that's the level of proliferation that i think we're going to get and that's what i think security leaders have to get their head around um that that's what's, that's what's coming. Um, so a big part of that, to your point, is education. How do we educate people on, on, on stronger, mature platforms that can we can enable um, no code, low code? Um, how have we done our due diligence on which ones are acceptable? How do we teach them on good practices um, if they're going to use these things? And then what is our ultimate vetting process at a certain level of importance for the business of, hey, listen, that was a great Skunk Works project, we need to turn this into, into a more mature offering that we can we can really um you know uh internalize officially officially for the company um those are all things we have to look at
1: so what are some of your suggestions to you know these business leaders you know i mean it's they're already worried about you know, every day, you know, some sort of attack. And now you have these added issues on in the secure, the security departments aren't that large in most com- you know, companies. So it'd be impossible for them to manage everything. So what are some of your, um, what's some of your advice? What, what how, how, do people wrap their head around this?
2: Sure. Um, so uh, it's, it, it's funny, I'm actually going to take this right back to our first topic, um, of not necessarily cold calling, but building relationships. Um, I got my MBA from IU, um, Indiana University, so go Hoosiers. Oh, um, yeah. My
1: daughter's a graduate from IU, so there hey, you go. Awesome, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> so. Great. Beautiful campus. Awesome school. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I, I got a marketing MBA. Um, and really, it, it, it's because I think you, you security leaders, and for me at least, as I well was, you know, getting ready and, and be, being a CISO, um, they're selling they might not realize that they're selling. And I think that the best security leaders do recognize that they are in sales, right? They're selling an idea, they're selling a strategy, an approach, they're selling it to the board, to the rest of the executive committee. And the best way you you, you, uh, you can sell is build meaningful relationships, right? Don't lead with deceit. Um, you know, you 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 understand the context of who you're talking to. So these security leaders have to understand how the business works. They have to understand what, what are the key drivers and what's really motivating that finance team or the marketing team or the biz dev team or whatever that is. Um, So in order for them to keep up, they have to go build those relationships. They have to sell the idea um, of of, of an integrated solution um, to those leaders Um, and they have to sell the idea and the understanding that they're actually there to help. And if they can do that, um, then I think they have a a shot at being successful. If they can't, the business will find a way around them. Um, And That is a really bad and dangerous situation of where, you know, you have uh, the business who doesn't trust security uh, because we should feel confident in the things that are providing some aspect of physical, logical, you know, security for us.
1: Um, I have, before I read Eddie's question, because he has a question for you, um, you know, I have the greatest job because I get to, one of the things during COVID, we did a ton of these bourbon happy hours. So I had some great great CISOs that came and we would just talk you know and we're talking about you know their issues and what they were doing you know with this question right here that Anthony has so I'll be um, that that Eddie has he said a question for Anthony how do you reduce friction between security teams and end users traditionally it feels like security teams are the parents telling the kids the end users what they can and can't do on their devices how do we change the narrative
2: yeah, um, I think that goes back to actually building doing the relationship piece, right? Um, it's one thing when you're a parent and you um, you tell the kids, "No, you can't do that," and just because I said no, like as a kid, I remember hearing that and I'm like, "Oh, that's really frustrating or a dumb reason." And then you go find a way to do it, do something, do it, do it anyway, right? Um, and it's another thing when you're a parent and you tell your kid, "No, you shouldn't do that," and here's why, here's the danger of it and you educate them. And if you have that right trust relationship, then you get to have that, you you earn that next level of conversation, which is, um, okay, well, what should I do differently, right? If I can't eat this, what should I eat instead here, right? Um, So I think that security teams have to focus on building the relationships. That's not just the leaders though. A lot of times people think that security leaders, um, the CISO should be the one who's just going out there talking to business, uh, business heads. Um, and I think that that's a really, really bad idea. Um, it's important for them to do that, but it's bad because if, if they're the only ones that are doing it. Security and IT should be talking to and building relationships across the company. Um, a practice I used to do, it would drive everybody crazy, is if somebody worked for me, so they would start with me, um, uh, start to, to work for me, I would give them a list of at least 30 people that I expected them to have one-on-ones with in the first 30 days. And everybody who worked for me as a direct report, if they were a manager, they had that same expectation. Whenever you hire somebody, find 30 people that your new hire needs to go meet in their first 30 days. Um, And a lot of times people are like, well, that's crazy. They don't need to meet 30 people. Yeah, they do. They need to meet the the analysts, the engineers who actually do the thing. They need to go talk to the business and understand why that driver is coming down. They need to talk to the person who's hiding in the closet that always goes fixes the stuff. You know, whenever you know, whenever things go bump, and um, if you if you look at it from a relationship building perspective, that's how you change this from a thou shalt not because we sit up high on an ivory tower to, hey, I know you're trying to do your thing uh, to make the company go better. Um, here's here's something that you should consider because you trust me and and you know that I have your best intentions in mind. And I think that a lot of times business users don't necessarily believe the security teams actually have their best intentions in
1: mind. I had a, CISO from a very large financial institution and he was telling me what they would do once a quarter is they would have Cyber aware, uh, Security Awareness Day. And, you know, they'd simulate a bunch of phishing attacks and um, the winners would get cool stuff. You know, they, they'd get Nintendo DSs and yeah. and people looked forward to those days. So now it, you know, it changed the dynamic between the security teams and where the employees were um, looking forward because they were all trying to beat these phishing attacks but, so I, I thought
2: that was great Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly it i mean like it's it sounds kind of kind of crazy but like when it, when when you think about this um i have this this chart that we, we we we've built out we use sometimes and we talk about um the uh the mass loss hierarchy of needs right um and we talk about it in, in the sense of a company at the bottom it is not security like everyone, like, you kind of think like, oh, safety is like, that's actually after your, your physical needs of like food are actually met food, shelter, the, the things you need to survive. And in a business, food, shelter, those things are actually revenue, right? Revenue and, 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 and business growth. Security is after that. And, and, and people don't like it when I say it, but security is a luxury after you've actually met your revenue targets if you if the security components too dramatically negatively impacts that that those revenue components the business is going to revolt right they're gonna be like listen you don't get what we're trying to do um, and we're going to go a different direction and that could be replacing the leadership team could be replacing the team members etc um, and so security has to be a part of how do we make sure that we're growing the right way we're getting the right amount of food right amount of revenue market share wallet share whatever that is but also protecting the company. Um, and so that that trust dynamic has to happen. And when you have that trust dynamic, suddenly you have a crazy amount of support from the rest of the leadership um, of, of saying, you know what? We trust that you're gonna do the right things, tell us what you need. Because you, you have this track record of, of, of helping us to, to grow, of helping to understand the context for the business.
1: Jonathan uh, put a comment out there. It seems like there's an increase in emotionally reactive attacks where a user will intentionally click on a link or an attachment in a moment of increased stress. What are your thoughts about balancing the increase of awareness and that of the technical defenses?
2: Um, So yeah, it's it's a really, really good question. Um, And I think it actually ties into what you're trying to do with your security awareness program. If you think back 10 years ago, you know, not everybody had a security awareness program. Not everyone was doing phishing attacks um, against their their company. Um, And I think that it's important to have security awareness that doesn't turn into a bunch of gotchas um, because those gotchas don't create trust. They actually, in my view, they lead with deceit, right? in, unless there's a, you, you use that as a really, really teachable moment at that, you know, like real-time teachable moment of like, you can, hey, you should have been able to see this. The net is that is, is this. At no point is it realistic to expect that your user is going to say, you know what, I saw this link, and the link said, you know, www.amazon, but I didn't realize the O was a different O. Like that's not gonna happen. And, and, and security leaders who try to push that, that, that type of awareness, uh, I think they're in for a world of hurt. Um, but what they can't, what we should do is make sure people are aware that, hey, if an email evokes a sense of fear, a sense of um, you won the lottery, like if, it's, if it seems too good or one way or the other, other side, like you, that's when it should cause a moment of pause. Send it over, let's take a look, let's let's look at this from, from that perspective. Because these types of attacks are absolutely happening. And they're not just happening on the corporate side. People, the, the, the attackers are finding the personal information of the user, attacking them at home as well, and looking at those as, as, as avenues to enter the corporate environment, right? Our, our resources um, don't ha- always have the opportunity and luxury of being like, just leave your personal side at home. Like they're so interwoven now companies do need to make sure that we're, we're training users completely and holistically. Um, And so, you know, making sure that they're aware of of, of those types of emotional attacks. um, I think that's really, really important.
1: Well, I mean, we have to be honest here. Most of the people in an organization are not thinking about cybersecurity on a daily basis. You know, I mean, when people ask me what I do and I'm sure you as well, and you say you're in cybersecurity there the general comment is, oh, wow, you must be really busy, you know, or, you know, it's not like they start asking me questions of anything, because that's, that's just not their job. It's not their priority. They're not thinking about it until they click on something and their computer doesn't work. So how do you change the narrative, you know, going back to um, what Eddie was saying earlier? How is that ever? I mean, because life is fast. Everyone's busy. They're all trying to get their jobs done as quick as they can. So, how does that ever evolve into a safer environment
2: it has to be invisible um i think that security teams and tech teams need to make technology and the security around that truly invisible um, and transparent to the user right uh, i used to have this this running joke that um if i had you know 10 billion dollars i would hire a ninja um who every time i was going to eat something bad they would just jump out and slap you know smack oh. the bag of chips out of my hand right like um, and then eventually I'd, maybe i'd stop eating eating chips or whatever whatever it is right uh, but it has to be almost invisible and, and, and just in time um, and that's hard uh, that's really really hard because you have to understand the processes the habits you know you know how, how people work from there um, if security is not invisible it ends up feeling like the tsa line and that sucks and what happens when you see a massive tsa line Everybody who doesn't have Clear suddenly thinks about like I think I might go sign up for Clear. I could probably sign up for Clear faster than I can get through that TSA line, um, or you know what? I'm gonna go, go get TSA Pre. Um, so so I think that you have to look at your security architecture, and that includes your tools, your the way your your training, the people, the processes, of everything, and say how do we make this seamless, as frictionless as possible. And you only in, inject friction right when there is that critical moment. Right when right. Right when that user is about to make that bad decision, um, you have the tools and intelligence to stop the user, challenge them, step up authority, um, or, or authentication is necessary, um, and, and, and give them a pause of like, hey, based off of X, Y, or Z, this seems like this doesn't align with what we've been training you. Um, otherwise, it's I think it's a really, really a, a losing, bit, uh, losing battle. Um, you can't, you can't berate. Kids, people, whatever, into being good. You, you, you have to teach them to want to do well.
1: So, when it comes to the CSO, I've been seeing in the past year a lot of CSOs transitioning out of the CSO role because it's just like yourself, you know, because <laughs> it's just been so stressful. I mean, what? Um, I have no idea. Like, what statistic are we seeing when there is a threat attack or anything? Our CSOs. Um, getting fired over these things? And do you, how do you feel about that?
2: Yeah, I, I, um, it's so foremost, I do believe that the off-ramp of being a cyber executive is some form of entrepreneurship um, of where you have security leaders that go do advisory, go build a company, go do investments, something I agree. like that. I think, yeah. I think there's, that's the off-ramp, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. don't necessarily know that or believe that all these security leaders are being fired, um, you won't see that. Um, if the if there's a breach um, and the company immediately fires the security leader, what that actually looks like is that they're being reactive and um, there's an aspect, and I think even an opportunity for for lawsuits or litigation to be like, ah, you knew about it, you should have known about it, that's why you fire the person. Um, what you're seeing instead is them, over the course of six, nine months to a year later, finding a new opportunity a new exciting opportunity in their next step of their career Uh, i think that's why most companies frame it um and then they're bringing in somebody else Um, and this is the important piece security or or organizations are i think are going through this evolution of what do we want our security programs and technology programs to look like Um, and in the beginning it was do the thing deliver the donuts keep the lights on um, and now you're seeing IT truly being an enabler, being the deciding factor uh, in, in, in the, the, the company's opportunity and, and ability to win the market. Um, and so you're gonna see and feel this, this shift of where they're saying, you know what? Sarah's been a great security leader or CIO for the last four years, but Sarah's not gonna get us to the next level. Sarah's not gonna get us to, to be able to compete here. So what, what is it that we need to do? Um, so I think that you're seeing an evolution and an upskilling, and in taking security leaders and tech leaders, and putting them into roles of where they're going, where they're the right person to evolve the program, um, and I think that's what you're actually um, seeing post breach.
1: Yeah, I do. I definitely agree with you that I have definitely seen many CISOs go off on their own and you know, money talks, you know? So um, I've seen a lot of people that switched from the CISO role to go more like on the sales side. And so there's a lot of different things, but I know it's a high pressure. I mean, they they have the weight of the world. It it, it is, one thing I
2: I think that's a really, really great point though, Kim, is that um, a lot of security leaders who, you know, currently sit on one side of the fence, berating vendors saying, oh, stop doing this, stop doing that. they're, they're failing to realize that a good majority or a good number of the, uh, of their peers, when they leave enterprise, they go work for those startups Mm
1: -hmm. and they're
2: part of the sales process. Um, and I've, I've taken an immense amount of joy in calling that out to people who I was like, Hey, remember a year ago how you were a total a-hole and now (laughs) you're over here. Um, and perhaps you have a little bit of a different perspective and, um, I think it's just something to really, really be aware of. Of you know, you know People don't know what the future's gonna hold, um, what, what it's gonna look like for them, and they might be like, ah, oh, I would never go work for a vendor. Um, you might. If it's an amazing product, amazing opportunity, you think you're gonna be able to do something, add some significant value, and they want your expertise, you might end up in there. And when you're in a small company, everybody's in sales. It's just the way it is. Like, yeah, everybody is in some sort of sales or marketing about the company um, because they should be excited about what they're doing. and. Um, it's, it's kind of fun seeing security leaders eat crow
1: on that. <laughs> well, um, we've probably had time for one last question, and it's from Jonathan, which kind sure. of goes back to the whole show. From a K uh, through 12 or higher ed perspective, what do you see as the changes that are happening or needing to happen to help users prepare for cyber risks in the future?
2: Um, this is a, uh, an actual tough question. I'm, I, I'm on the board for Code VA, which is – responsible for helping, um, in Virginia, you know, high school and and, and lower kids get ready. Um, and thinking about cybersecurity and actually STEM, um, is, is the focus as, as a viable career path. I think when it comes to, you know, our education process in general, not enough teachers are actually educated themselves on, um, risks opportunities of what they what, what they can do or what they should be passing along right you have um you have teachers who don't know what the cloud is which is kind of crazy now that's not their job to know what the cloud is but when their students understand technology more than them um, that is problematic uh, because th- then the teacher is not in a position to inspire um, and to actually set, to help them understand that their sites can be much much bigger than what, what they think they are. So I think that in, in order to really change the perspective, um, to help users prepare for cybersecurity and technology and development and just STEM in general, um, we as practitioners should be spending and investing time talking to those educators, talking to the professors, talking to the high school teachers and middle school teachers, and elementary teachers, and helping them to understand and think about how they can embed some of this stuff more into their regular um, engagement, because these are these teachers are good people who just don't know what they don't know, um, and if we if we don't coach them on how to meaningfully engage with this content, um, then they'll just omit it. They're they're going to go back to what they what they what they know, um, and uh, it's it's a huge loss and a huge missed opportunity for the next generation.
1: You know what I love to see in our industry is there are some amazing CISOs out there. And one I can think of off the top of my head is Deanna um, DeFora, she's the CISO at United Airlines, and she spends her summer, you know, doing summer camps for kids. And I mean, yep. if she doesn't have enough on her plate to take on that task, and, you know, there's so many of them out there, and I love to see that passion, you know, and um, the CISO for Rockwell, she just retired, but she's not retiring, she's still educating the community. So, you know, there are some CISOs out there that will scream and yell on LinkedIn, but Boy, there's a lot of them doing amazing, amazing jobs out there that really do have the passion and the mission and, you know, kudos to all of them. Now,
2: now, I I have to say this. I I really, really do. Um, It's one thing for CISOs and CIOs to do this and go out and talk to and engage with boards and and coach, Um, but that's only part of the solution, I think the real the real machine to make this work for the next generation is the rest of the practitioners the people who are in governance and compliance and bone management like yes it's cool to have an executive go do that but the real meat is when you have you know that mid-level manager or director or, an, or a junior analyst who goes and gives back and and, and goes to their alma mater and and, and and helps to to add value to the content right um, because that's the only way we can do this at scale. There aren't enough cyber and tech executives out there to, to, to really uh, help coach and shape the next generation, but there are enough practitioners to help shape and coach the next generation. Um, so if we can do that um, the right way, then, um, then, then we can win. And if we can't, then we're in a bad spot.
1: Well, I, I'm kind of think pen testers are pretty cool out there and what they're doing, you know, Definitely. everyone should have a good pen tester, you know, and they could be a really good resource for um, educating the rest. It's of the exciting, reason.
2: right? Like there's, and, and um, sometimes people think you have to be a, a super techie geek to get into the space and you don't, right? Like there are a lot of security practitioners who live in spreadsheets. Um, you know, they're, they're they're looking at risk in a different way. Um, or, you know, they're, they're in a different product or application, and they're not actually hands-on doing packet modification analysis, or, or um, you know, there's a lot of different facets of, of, of tech and cybersecurity. Uh, and I think if we can keep that in mind, um, then we open the aperture. We open the opportunity for somebody who doesn't feel like they're a techie. geek to be like, oh, I didn't know I could get a security job. Yeah, absolutely. We, it's risk. It's identity, like there's, there's, there it's resilience there's just so many different pieces. And that's what I think is continues to keep me motivated to help. Um, you know, even with delve risk, helping cyber tech companies to understand their buyers so that their message can resonate more. So their product can, can get that market traction. Um, and we save them a ton of time. So they don't have to do the research.
1: Well, Anthony, we're down to almost a minute. There was more questions, but we couldn't get to them all. It's been amazing um, having you on the show. We didn't even dive into uh, three-fourths of what I wanted to talk to you about today. So we'll have to have you back on again in the future. But is there any last um, messages that you want to throw out there to all of our uh, uh, viewers and listeners?
2: Um, I, 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 there's, I, I think the big thing is um, all of you, everybody, each of us can find a way to give back to the ecosystem. Um, it could be engaging in a nonprofit, school, high school, whatever that is. Um, you know, Finding a way to coach and mentor this next generation. We are not the generation that's gonna keep um, the industry secure. We're the generation that starts it maybe, or that started right. it maybe, um, but it's this next generation that's gonna actually see it through. Um, and we need to enable them, um, encourage them um, to be able to, to do it the right way so that they can create those really innovative tech solutions that are going to, you know, really take and protect businesses to the, at the next level. So.
1: Thank you, Anthony Johnson, founder of Dell Thanks for spending this last 57 minutes with us. I wish I could have got to everyone's questions. Thank you for all of our uh, loyal supporters that come and listen to our show every week. Everyone have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for tuning into and Security for All.